You are listening to Sick Biz Buzz with me, Hillary Jastrom. Hey, and welcome to Sick Biz Buzz, the sickest podcast for chronically ill and disabled entrepreneurs, and the only podcast of its kind in the whole wide world. I'm your host, Hillary Jastrom, and today we are going to delve into anxiety. Let me tell you, this is a topic I was not even able to talk about without going into a panic attack for a very long time. So I feel really empowered that we're going to talk about it today. We are going to answer the question of if education is the answer to fear. And we are going to talk about ways you can harness the pent-up energy from your anxiety and turn it into sky-high productivity. Today we're going to talk about the points of anxiety, so what causes anxiety, what a panic attack can feel like, how do we get ourselves out of a, a mode where we're not even able to move, how can we even begin to harness productivity if we can't even move our limbs or our bodies. Now this is something that I know a lot about and I have shared a lot with you, but I want to tell you about my history of anxiety. I got my first panic attack at the age of 12 years old. Uh, I was in Girl Scouts and we had a sleepover. And I remember feeling a rush of warmth. It was a hot flash almost, but a hot flash for like a 12 year old, not like a menopause hot flash, which I sometimes get now. Anyways, I digress. Uh, and I didn't know what the heck it was. It it made me panic. It, it made me feel like I couldn't breathe. Uh, I thought that maybe I had the flu. And, uh, and then I started convincing myself that's what it was. And then I started getting nauseated. And of all things, uh, my friend's mother brought out like a baking pan to throw up in. And then in <laughs> between that ridiculousness, it wasn't enough to calm me down. My dad came and got me. Uh, I went home and the anxiety attack passed. I did not get sick, but it was my first anxiety attack, and I remember my father saying, you know, you can convince yourself that you're sick. So if you can convince yourself that you're sick, you can also convince yourself that you feel better. Likely, he understood what was happening, even if he didn't know why, and I had no clue what was happening Um you know, when you're young, you can't tune into what your body's doing, what it might mean, and you certainly can't reason through it. So for me, that started decades-long panic. And uh, panic attacks run in my family. So there were close relatives that were also afflicted with these, and they manifested in a variety of ways. Uh, my panic attacks felt like I was going to throw up or I was going to have problems on my south end. Um, sometimes I might feel shortness of breath. Some people get chest pains. I would shake and be unable to move. Um, the overwhelming feeling from the panic attack was that you feel like you're dying and you can't even really frame that. You can, if somebody said to you, what do you feel like right now? What are you afraid of? You wouldn't even know how to answer them because the feeling is a suffocation and a terror 
that you can't quite put your finger on. You can also have hot and cold flashes. Uh, you can have chills that sweep over you and cause you to shake. You can be frozen in one spot where you just kind of ride it out and the waves of nausea just roll over you. Um, some people who are lifelong sufferers do have chest pain and I, I want to advise I'm not a doctor or anything. Definitely take care of yourself if you're having chest pain. If it's something that you know happens to you, sometimes I get chest pain and I'll say, okay, well, I'm having a panic attack. This is how it's manifesting right now. Um, make sure that you're safe. Make sure that you see a doctor about that each and every time. Um, make sure that you're getting help for it. You can also develop headaches. You can get migraines. Any way that stress can lay siege to your body, that is what you are privy to experience. So there's many different ways, just like we're many different people, and we experience many different things. So the first thing we're going to talk about today is how in the world can we even begin to think about being productive, about moving out of this state of terror if we don't know, if we don't have a roadmap, if we, if we don't know what that looks like, if we don't have the tools to move out of it, if we can't even think properly, if we're drowning in emotional terror, how in God's name can we move into productivity? So I can tell you it works. I can tell you it is possible. But the biggest goal that we have today is that we are going to move from one state of consciousness into another state. The state of anxiety is a gripping of terror. We see nothing. We feel nothing. We are unable to appreciate anything about our surroundings, any other internal chatter or thoughts that we might have. And so we have to give ourselves thing to focus on, things to focus on. Um, these are a couple of actionable tips that I want you to think about. When I was in high school, shout out to my drama teacher, Jan Mandel, I love you. Um, she would have us get into characters. She would have us as these wriggling teenagers that were just inundated with so much energy and hormones and drama and everything else she would have us get quiet and calm we would lay on the stage floor and she would lower the lights and then she would talk to us and walk us through what we were feeling as we laid on the floor in each part of our body and that is what I want us to go through today. I'm not going to take you through the whole thing. This is like a 10-minute exercise, and we'll both probably fall asleep. But the point is that we are going to activate all of our senses when we are in the state of anxiety. In this state of anxiety, it is exceedingly difficult to grip on to something. So if somebody hands you a solution or somebody hands you another alternative and says, instead of thinking this, you can think this. This is a, a very similar solution or part of a solution that you can try. So the first thing is that close your eyes 
and feel everything where your body is touching. I happen to be sitting on a couch in my office with my feet on an ottoman right now. I am wearing slippers so I can feel my toes inside the cushioning of those slippers. I can feel my legs on the ottoman. I can feel my thighs as they touch the couch. I can feel my back against the pillow. I can feel the headphones that have these really cool cushion tips in my ears. I can hear the sound of my voice. So we move into what we're feeling, into what we're hearing. And the point is to tune into the senses that make sense. What calms you? Are you a visual person? Are you a tactile person? You like to touch things. You like textures. Do you love music? Do you love moving your body? We're all different people and we all respond very differently to calming influences. So this initial part that we're doing right now with our body feeling everything that it's touching, you're going to move through your body. Can you feel glasses on your face, for example? Can you feel if you move your face around, can you feel the muscles in your face? If you blink your eyes, can you feel your eyes blinking? What you're doing is moving a focus from anxiety and overwhelming emotion into a different sort of sensation. You are replacing your experience. So let's move on to the next sense. What do you smell? Is there a candle lit somewhere in the room? Do you have a shirt on that smells like fresh laundry detergent? What are you noticing about your environment? Is somebody frying something? Are they cooking something? Do you smell cookies? Do you smell a scented lotion? Again, it is moving from one experience to the other. If you are able to drink something, this is a fabulous response. This is a fabulous way to interrupt the panic circuit. Take a sip of juice, for example. You know, take a sip of ginger ale. Feel the bubbles on your tongue. Get into that sensation. What does it feel like? What does it taste like? You are moving out of your experience. Look around your room. What do you see that reminds you that you will be okay? Is it a photograph of somebody that you love? What comforts you to look at it? Is it a poem? Is it a mantra that you read that stills your heart? What can you see? What can you pay attention to that is distracting enough to disrupt the panic pattern? Some people are very responsive to music. I have a friend who absolutely loses herself in music. She loses herself in dancing. I don't know what that does for her, but it's really important to pay attention to what brings you joy, what makes you feel blissful, what you can do to shift out of your experience. So that's the first thing. Now focus on your breathing. 
there's a consensus that says we can help to move out of an anxious state when we take deeper breaths. And if you'll notice, when you're in a panic attack or you start worrying, your breaths will become shorter because your entire body is freezing up and you're kind of growing rigid. Your arms and legs are growing rigid. Your body posture is growing rigid. So if you can break that pattern of that shortened breath breathing, just really focus on breathing normally, filling up your belly, holding it for a breath and letting it go. Can you change the pattern of your breathing? Take a couple breaths like that. Take 10 breaths like that. Change your experience. Now, you're ready to think about getting up because you've shifted your panic experience. You've shifted it and you've broken that pattern so that you no longer have to freeze there and just ride the wave of this everlasting hell. Now you've shifted it and you can start thinking about, all right, I still have this pent up energy and I'm still in this kind of quasi anxious state. Can you consider getting up? Now let's talk about some of our self talk, okay? What works for me is education. And I don't mean it, it's like a silver bullet where you hear it and instantly you're cured. Oh, that's what anxiety is. Oh, this is a magic bullet. This is a solution. That's not it. But critical thinking about your experience, about what's causing you to be anxious, will allow you to logistically pull it apart. And then you can get back to the root of what exactly you're worried about. So when I get anxious, when I have a panic attack, I don't want to be around anybody. We need to work on that because, first of all, the sense of touch from someone else will flood your body with that loving hormone that says you're okay, this is reassuring. That's why people love hugs. They just feed you. They, they feed your oxygen levels. They feed your functionality. So if you're a person who likes to be alone, you and, you and I both need to work on that. And we will keep working on that. So when I get anxious, I say to myself, you're not going to die. I'm not going to die from a panic attack. Logistically, you have to tell yourself that this is terrible. So I hate getting the stomach flu, for example. I don't know anybody who loves it. But I particularly hate it because it is tied to a traumatic event in my life that has predisposed me to panic about it. So I can feel like I might die. In that moment, I can feel like I'm nauseated. This is the worst sensation ever. I might die. Uh, I might choke to death. You can feel these things. You can feel like death is impending. Doom is impending. The Grim Reaper is coming. You can feel these things. Your feelings are not facts. They are what you are feeling. They are undeniable. But you can be very logical about your feelings and you can tell yourself, I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. And in addition to that, 
there's always a flip side of whatever disorder we happen to have. So let's take ADHD, for example. I have a couple of kids who have that one quite severely. And we're only finding out now, as we are finding out when we look at children who have Down syndrome, for example, children who have Down syndrome are the most innocent, joyful, stress-free beings ever. Now, people who have ADHD, um, and the hyperactivity component of this is, is very important, they also have the ability to hyper focus. So they may not be able to tune into a geography lesson about, you know, the, uh, you know, the building of the Parthenon or something like that historical lesson that because it might not interest them and they tune out and they just don't want to hear about it. But if there's something that interests them, they take a class on, on, uh, how to tie flies for fishing. They take a class on uh, how to create pottery. They take a class on how to blow glass or whatever the case is, and it interests them. They have an ability to hyperfocus. So we need to look at these quote unquote weaknesses in a new way. Sure, there's a component of vulnerability, a component of we may have to try harder because by itself, this particular disorder or affliction is challenging. It presents with symptoms X, Y, Z. But there is always a flip side. For ADHD and ADD, there's hyperfocus. And for anxiety, there's pent-up energy so that you can channel that and you can harness that when you become aware of it and when you move out of the state of panic. Sometimes when we are in an anxiety attack, all we need is a little bit of reassurance. Uh, my disease affects the nerve functionality in my chest, and so it can feel like I'm not getting enough oxygen and that my throat is closing. Strangely, I never suffer a lack of oxygen. It just feels that way. If you talk to uh, any TM patient who experiences the same thing, you'll find that they do not have a lack of oxygen. It just feels that way, but it certainly is enough to play with your mind. So my husband will put on the handy old pulse oximeter or pulse ox as we call it um, to measure the oxygen in my blood. And that reassurance is enough to calm me down, to help me breathe a little deeper. So the next thing we're going to talk about and this is before we move into productivity, but I promise you we're getting there. There's just some steps that we need to take first to move out of our anxious state. Another coping strategy that I have used is writing a letter to myself, and I can chuckle about it now. In the moment, I don't think it's very funny, but I can chuckle about it now. It starts like this. Dear Hillary, what the hell is bothering you so much? Or, dear Hillary, what do you need right now? What is scaring you? And then you can respond in what that happens to be. Sometimes writing it down minimizes it because we're looking at it. We're seeing it 
it's out of our brain where we're able to take it and we can make it as big as we want. We can make it as intimidating as we want. When we put it down on paper, we see that there's really not a lot of power because we are able to manage that. We are able to put it down on paper and our fear loses its potency. And I like to consider this turning the bear into a mouse. There's a lot to be said for visualization. For example, I have to go and get MRI tests, you know, every six months to a year to see if there's any more lesions in my body. And when I go into the MRI machine, the mere suggestion of being claustrophobic or being asked, are you claustrophobic? Can it, it makes you start thinking, well, how am I going to answer this question? Because then you begin to consider that you might be claustrophobic, even if you've never been claustrophobic in your life. The power of suggestion is huge. So when I get in there, I have to tell myself, we've well, done this a million times. This is just silly. And you know how to handle it. So I use visualization. They'll play in between the pings and the hammers and the construction noises and the birds chirping in that damn machine. They'll play music, and it's usually 80s music because that's my go-to. Um, but I create a video in my head. It might be spinning ballerinas or the northern lights that are pulsing along to the beat. It might be another visualization entirely. One day I thought about all the crap I had in my purse. And then I started thinking about what my husband would put in his purse if he had one. And this took up like a half an hour of my time. And I thought, okay, well, first of all, what kind of purse would he have based on his personality? And then what would he put in there? I could see him putting like a, his pocket knife in there. He'd put his chapstick in there. The point is that you give yourself a mindful activity to move out of the very visceral, emotional feeling where you're just simply responding to chemicals that are coursing through your blood, causing this panic state. So these are the coping strategies that you can use to prepare yourself from moving into productivity. You have to get the overwhelm under control before you can begin to harness that energy. It's a two-step process, and there are multitudes of ways you can handle this. And I want to touch on medication for a minute, too, because I'm a proud Prozac taker. No stigma here, and there's no shame here. Having anxiety, having a mental health disease or affliction is exactly the same as having diabetes where you need to take insulin, as having MS where you need to take gabapentin to function. It is just a different sort of disease. So there's no shame. There's no shame in treating something or using a tool that makes you feel better, that makes you more constructive, that makes you better able to participate in relationships, that allows you to sleep, there's no shame. So put your hand in the air and wave it like you just don't care if you take a medication to handle your anxiety and take that edge off so you can still feel it, 
but it is not so overwhelming. So I'm a big proponent of that. Whatever, whatever works for you. If you have an herbal solution that works for you, that's great. Just keep on going. I don't have any judgment for you. If you blaze up and that calms you down, I don't care. This is all a tool to help you better function and progress as an entrepreneur into your own success. So moving on from coping with your anxiety and these various ways and methods that we can apply to break out of that cycle where we're fixating on panic, I want you to think about harnessing your anxiety like you're plugging into an alternate energy source. When you do that, it accomplishes two things at once. You will work out that mad tangled ball of pain that you're holding. It will remove obstacles in your path to goals. And when this happens, you free your mind to flow further. All those creative musings that you have dammed up are going to come out so think about that. Get ready to come into contact with what your pain is. When you identify your pain, when you get your diagnosis, for example, you can start make a plan to, making a plan to cope, making a plan to heal. You can even begin to see that there may be some silver linings in everything that you're going through. A lot of people talk about, I don't want to give a reason for the hell that people go through. But I think that you're denying yourself because those triggers and that pain and when you walk through it and when you face it and when you rise above it and when you change and when you completely hand yourself over to fate, over to remaining open to learning you will change. So let's move from laying down, being in the fetal position, being frozen. Maybe when you're anxious, you have um, a habit. You know, maybe you pick at your fingers, you pick at your skin, you pick at your face. We're going to move away from those. those that's like a security blanket. When I was little, and maybe you've done this, I would run down the stairs and I would say, you know, if there are less than 16 stairs, by the time I get to the bottom and I can do it in 30 seconds, that means my parents aren't going to get divorced. We enlist all of these methods and systems to control the unknown every single day. It starts with step on a crack, break your mother's back. And it moves into this questing hunger to find out what the hell is our life going to be like? Tell me, tell me what it's going to be like so I can plan. Because if I can't plan, I don't have control. And that is what a panic attack is. It is the loss 
of control. But what are you trying to control? What are you fooling yourself that you have control over? You do have control over certain things. You do have control over your productivity. You do have control over how you can respond. But you don't have control over things that are out of your control, over people getting sick, over accidents, over death, over decisions that other people make that concern you and hurt you. You do not have control over those things, and that is okay. Worrying is not going to keep you safe. Worrying, because I used to tell myself, well, I'm going to be hypervigilant about everything. If I am hypervigilant and I look around and I can see where people will come and attack me, and I can and I can think about this and I can think about tragedy befalling my family and I can somehow try and prepare for it. I will be okay. But that wasn't the case. And panic attacks for me, they were little cracks in my armor where I knew no matter what happened, I was gonna lose control. If I lost somebody I loved. I didn't know how I would respond. And I had to be okay at that. I had to trust in the unknown and take control over the things that I had control over. So what I have learned to do over the years of having these lovely panic attacks is I have a little list and it's my panic attack to-do list. The panic attack to-do list contains everything that I want in my life to progress. So it could be relating to business. A lot of it does because I usually try to work on my personal relationships one million percent being present with my family as much as I can. So what I don't get to, but what I want to get to, what I desire to see in my professional life is on my panic attack to-do list. It might be something like uh, work on some chapters for your book. It might be write an article. It might be write an email and reach out to somebody. By positioning something feels so something that feels so invasive and threatening into a time when you can unleash your greatest productivity, you're actually changing the meaning of your anxiety, which is tremendously powerful. For you to not only survive a panic attack, but to turn it into a moment of empowerment is mind-blowing. It's a testament to your brain that you have the power to do this, that you are living it, that you are proving it to yourself time and time and time again. And instead of it being seen as a weakness, instead of it being seen as a handicap, you are tapping into the ability to turn it into something that will serve you. That flip is phenomenal in mindset. 
So get out your panic attack to-do list. It's very helpful to do this before you begin to panic. So once upon a time, I went to a therapist, and this is a really funny story. So <laughs> once upon a time, I went to a therapist, and she said, well, you have anxiety attacks. You, you have a panic disorder. And I thought, well, gosh, well, thank you. So where can I give you the copay? Because clearly that was very introspective. It took a lot of freaking work. But two, she said, go to the store and buy the anxiety workbook. And the thought of that gave me a panic attack because I had tried very, very, very hard to avoid what would hurt me. So now in avoiding it, she was telling me, no, you have to be proactive. You have to go and face your fear in the bookstore at home reading this book. This is the way to handle your panic. I now know that she was right, but I did buy the book. And then I hid it from myself because I couldn't even see the title without flying into a panic attack. I was that dependent on avoidance. So I want you to ask yourself that question. Are you dependent on avoidance of your emotions? When you avoid your emotions, they get bigger, they get overwhelming, they take on new definitions, they sprout tentacles, and it becomes very overwhelming, and it buries you, and you feel like you might not survive this beast that you made bigger. So it's important to face it. It's important to say, okay, I have panic attacks. Great. It's not the, it's not the disease I would choose for myself. Well, who would choose the disease? But you know what I'm saying. I have panic attacks and I need to be logistical about it. I need to use my education about it. I need to use information to make me feel better. I need to use mantras. I need to break patterns. Whatever it is that you need to do to break out of that pattern. So that's why I'm telling you to make the list when you are in a state of calmness. Nothing is threatening you. You're having a good day. And you can think about this like self-care. When we talk about self-care, we talk about taking care of all components of ourself. Our emotional self, our physical self, our academic self, our relationship pieces of it. Whatever role we're fulfilling in our life, we need to nurture those pieces so that we feel good as holistically as we possibly can in every single area of our life because we have deliberate maintenance that we are constantly applying, we're constantly tweaking, we're replacing the tires on the car, and conversely we're saying, I also need to take care of this piece of me, I do tend to panic, I do tend to worry and spiral, so now I'm going to be proactive and write a list 
of what I need. I'm going to give myself some to-do lists of what I can do when I feel this way. When you're doing that, you're detaching from the emotion because you're making a switch from focus, 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 focus on that emotion. And I feel this over and over and over again, and it gets intensifying, and then it, it feels like I, I might burst. Two, I'm coloring in my stress book, or I'm creating a meme for my business, or I'm working on a chapter for my book, or I'm listening to a business book, one that I've wanted to get to, or I'm watching The Wolf of Wall Street and studying sales tactics. It doesn't matter what is on your to-do list, and that's a very individual choice because it's going to serve you in the way that you need to be served. What matters is that you create it, give yourself some variety on your to-do list, make sure that it encompasses the things that you love doing, no drudgery and toil on this to-do list. There's not going to be, uh, you know, balance the books when, when you hate it and you're just not going to be in a place where you can apply that pent-up energy. That pent-up energy needs to go somewhere into a passion. You're going to pour it into your passion. You're going to work on the logo for your podcast. You're going to let your mind dream and wander. You're going to race down the beach and chase the unicorn, but this time you're, you're maybe going to catch it. So you're going to funnel that pent-up energy into your passion because passion has the potential to drag you away. Passion needs unending energy, and this is the perfect outlet for you. When you do this, it's kind of funny because you will almost start to look forward to that next panic attack. <laughs> once, you, once you learn how to flip that switch, it's not going to work 100% the first time. Don't give yourself that expectation. I'm going to try this and it's going to be so great and I'm going to discover that it works immediately and I never have to worry again. Taking care of you and your self-care is an on going journey of discovery and application. So you're going to keep trying. You are filling in the grooves in your brain where you've taught yourself how to respond. You've taught yourself, this is, this is what my brain has conditioned me to do. And so I am going to follow through and this is how we respond. And it's in a very odd way comfortable, but it's very familiar because it's what you know. So when you're relearning response, and in essence, you're relearning instinct, you're taking that breath, that self-awareness, this is how I usually respond. I'm going to switch my focus, and I'm going to try and do something. Now, it might be a disaster the first time likely in a state of anxiety when you feel vulnerable you're going to be hard on yourself well that was terrible you can't do anything right no wonder you feel anxious all the time you have no control you have no strength you have no power but that is not the truth the truth is that overcoming 
and maybe not even overcoming, but living with anxiety in a state where you're not terrified, but you're aware in a state where you're not reactive, but you're proactive. Living with anxiety is an ongoing learning process. First time might be a disaster. Second time might be great. Third time might be a pretty big disaster again. Fourth time might be, oh, I think something kind of clipped a little bit. Not there entirely, but you're going to keep going. The fifth time, maybe you accomplish something. The sixth time, I'm really learning how to key into this new energy. I'm learning how to change the definition of what's happening to me. I'm learning that there's an advantage to being how I am. And instead of trying to change it, and instead of trying to make it go away, maybe is a better way to put it, you're living with it. And you're seeing that there can be a blessing. Maybe this anxiety that plagues you is going to be what helps you over the finish line. So refer to your anxiety to-do list. It can encompass a multitude of tasks for your business. And from a personal perspective, you don't have to apply it to your business, but Maybe you want to organize the bill drawer. For me, it works better if I channel it into passion. It works better that way because I get excited and that excitement begets more energy. It creates more energy and then I'm in this crazy whirling energy stage. For you, it might be that you really want to nail down um, this organizational project or whatever the case is. Whatever you feel will be worthwhile for you, will feed you, that's the answer. So put down about 10 tasks on your anxiety to-do list so that you have them at the ready because you know it's going to happen. As you go through this, you'll find that the severity and the frequency of your attacks may lessen, which is wonderful. But you still know they're there. You still know. And so it's very good to have a plan. One of the best therapists I ever saw said, have a plan. And you know, that was a great thing to hear. Because I could plan for anything. I could plan if one of my kids decided to drop out or get pregnant. I could plan if I had a fender bender on the way home. I could put steps into place in my head. My house caught on fire. You're going to do this, then you'll do this, then you'll do this. And it gives you the feeling, the sense that you have control over the uncontrollable. So we're going to make a plan over this affliction that's actually not as uncontrollable as we think when we know how to address it and we know how to work through it. So let's recap today. These are the actionable prescriptive steps that you can take when you are swimming in overwhelmed and anxiety. First, I want you to tune into your five senses. Whichever one serves you and helps you the most might be a combination of a couple of them. Maybe it's the sense of smell 
Maybe you smell some citrus and it's it's spicy enough and it's tangy enough that it pulls you from the moment and interrupts that cycle. Maybe you are very much into feeling what your socks feel like as you wiggle your toes. Whatever brings you that inner peace is what you want to focus on. Keep your thoughts going in that direction. As you're doing that, start to take a deeper breath. You want to start to breathe regularly. There's a meme or something along those lines going around that that illustrates, I think it's actually or a GIF, however you say it, um, that illustrates like a, it's like a square enlarging and then getting smaller for the rhythm of your breath should look like. Now, when I look at that and when I tried it, it felt like what it felt like when I was doing Lamaze, which is I'm going to faint and I don't like this. So <laughs> that's why it's very important to remain open. How do you need to breathe? A baby who is calm and doesn't have a worry in the world, when they take a breath in, their belly fills up. And when they exhale, their belly gets smaller because the air is leaving their body. So you want to tune into those five senses, focus on your breathing, whatever that means to you. You may find as you get calmer, because you've had such a rush of adrenaline, that you're tired. And if you need to be tired instead of productive, that's also serving you and that's also self-care and that is okay. Not only because I say it's okay. It's okay because you're taking care of yourself and because you say it's okay. Now here's your mantra. This is the second part. You are not going to die. You are going to get busy. So repeat after me. I am not going to die. I am going to get busy. Your feelings about what need to be done don't matter. Let me give you an analogy. First, you, you are breaking the fixation where your buildup of energy is channeling. So I would tell my kids, I want you to go do the dishes. And they'd say, well, we hate doing the dishes. And I'd say, well, it doesn't really matter how you feel about doing the dishes. It's a job that needs to be done. This is a task that needs to be done. Moving yourself out of the state of frozen anxiety, of cyclical anxiety, is a job that needs to be done. It doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter if you're thinking, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. It doesn't matter. You're going to focus on the action. Now I'm getting up. I'm walking across the room. You're still feeling these physical sensations. But you are not incapable of movement. You are not incapable of physical movement. You are not incapable of picking up your laptop. You are not incapable of texting back your client or whatever your task might be. And your feelings about if you are capable of doing it or not don't matter. You still need to do it because it is self-care to break the cycle. It's self-care and it's entrepreneur care. 
Okay, and number three, refer to your anxiety plan. Your anxiety plan, your to-do list. Make sure that your to-do list is robust and it gives you a variety of things to choose from. I might like to uh, fiddle around and design a new logo. Um, I might like to write a new slogan for SickBiz. I might like to uh, brainstorm on who is going to be the next on the board of directors. You know, it's things of those of that nature engages a different part of your brain. Number four is if you have a medication that you need to take. Now, that can be an over-the-counter medication as well. You should be taking one regularly if that is prescribed for you to help you with your anxiety. Some people have prescriptions that are to be used only in the midst of a panic attack. And if that is you, then you need to make sure that you are ensuring that that part of your self-care is, is uh, you've, you've checked the box on that. Whatever you need to do as a tool to get yourself and move yourself out of that moment, that's part of your anxiety plan. So your anxiety plan is the encompassing of everything that you are going to do for yourself when you start experiencing that. It includes your to-do list, it includes your medication. It includes the mantras. This is, and if you write it all down on a sheet of paper, this is all encompassing. Telling yourself what to focus on, if there's music that you like to listen to, whatever the case is, this is the construction of your anxiety plan. Finally, ask yourself what holding on to anxiety gives you. If you hold on, what are you gaining? What are you telling yourself you're gaining? What are you protecting yourself from? Or what do you think you're protecting yourself from? I thought I was protecting myself from abandonment, protecting myself from death by being hypervigilant. I thought I was protecting myself from worrying about what kind of person I really was? What are you protecting yourself from? What are you gaining by holding on to anxiety? And you can ask yourself another question. How is that working out for you? How did that work out for you last time? The last panic attack that you had, did it move you forward? Did it improve your life? Did it truly keep danger at bay? The answer is probably no. The answer is probably that you rode that out hard, covered in sweat, panicky, grasping onto anything that would make you feel better. Holding on to anxiety and that perceived control doesn't serve you. So I want you to be honest when you answer those questions. It's just like if you go to a psychiatrist and there are different types of people that go and they say, well, this helped me. Someone might say this helped me and somebody else might say, well, this didn't help me at all. Well, you have to be ready 
And you have to be honest about everything, who you are, what you're repressing, what you're holding back, what you're trying to control. When you start to wade into that, that is when you begin to understand yourself and that's when you begin to understand how to best take care of yourself. All right, take a deep breath because that was a super intense episode. Um, for some of you, even beginning to listen, knowing what the topic was, took tremendous courage and strength, but you did it even if you just listened to a portion of it. If you listened all the way through, you might very well be exhausted because facing our fears requires a similar armor that we would take into war. Regardless of the fear, we don't all have the same fear. We don't all have the same responses. We don't all experience anxiety in the same way. But it doesn't mean that one fear has more meaning than another. People feel the fear, the terror, the helplessness equally. And that's what I want you to think about. Be kind and understanding of people whose fears are different than yours. And in addition to finding the silver lining or the gift in anxiety of hyperproductivity, you can also find the gift of reaching out and offering support to provide your own perspective of what you are doing with your pain and help someone else who is in pain. That's the meaning of living with and turning pain into purpose. Keep this list handy and tell yourself as you live life and go forth that you are a normal human being living in a hard world with many different stressors coming at you and ambushing you. We are in a state of perpetual receiving. Some of the gifts, I won't even say gifts, some of the energies that we're receiving are not good for us. Some of the effects that we're receiving from other people are not good for us. We're always at the ready, always needing to be prepared, always going to get that phone, going to get that email, going to respond on Facebook. We're in a state of perpetual receiving, which turns you into a person who is always anticipating something's coming at you. Here it comes. Here it comes again. You better prepare. What does that do for you? It's hard to live like that. Do the best that you can and keep moving forward into true healing. Remember, you will not get this 100% right. I'm not a therapist. I haven't studied this. I've lived it. I've overcome a grueling eating disorder and panic attacks. I've been down to 93 pounds. So I am a warrior and a survivor. And I feel like I can talk to you about this because I understand I'm not cloaking anything. I'm not keeping anything from you. I'm not saying I'm referring to what you're feeling in clinical terms or your emotions in clin clinical terms. There is some degree of addressing fear and terror non-emotionally, but there's also a degree of validation that allows you to see that we're all the same. And because we are, 
we can all respond to anxiety in a productive way. After that show, I think I need a nap. Facing our fears can be exhausting, but we need to know facing our fears will never kill us. Well, unless your fear is a great white shark, but for the rest of us living in our houses, trying to sleep at night, the feeling of imminent death and actually dying are very different things. You are a warrior for surviving and you are a rock star for listening and subscribing to Sick Biz Buzz. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure to check out our site, sis.com, where we are adding new guest contributors each week who are sharing their experiences of working as sick and disabled entrepreneurs and offering real life tips and hacks for getting ahead. If you need further support, please don't hesitate to send a message to sickbizco at gmail.com. And even if you just want to reach out and share how you are working through your obstacles in business, we'd love to hear from you. This is your podcast and your site to give you the help you need to succeed in business. Thanks for listening today. Be well.